heavy, heavy March 2020 vibes. Anybody else got that? I mean, just if see, we'll go round and round and round. You look at the news and there's all the, the visuals of people lining up trying to get vaccines. We're back to that again. We're back to cancellations. And, you know, all of it has a huge impact right across every sector as more and more people are going to come down with Omicron, more and more people are going to be in close contract, con, close contact with positive cases. And that means self-isolation. What is that going to do as it ripples through? Here at Global, for example, you know, like so many places, we're on sort of holiday staffing, which is fairly bare bones, you know, as it as it is just in normal times. And now you have the possibility of Omicron coming through, taking out a couple of key people and then close contacts. And then uh, is there anybody left? I mean, they'll let anybody on TV nowadays. I mean, as as you can see by just watching me. Monday to Friday, Mon- uh, 5.30 to 6.30. But, I mean, you know, if it goes through here, what's that going to mean? And th- this is not the most important place. More important is what's going to happen in the healthcare sector. Hospital workers in this province who have been in close contact with someone who has COVID-19 don't have to stay home from work as long as they continue to test negative for the virus daily. That is a new policy coming out of the province. To talk more about that, uh, I'm pleased to welcome to the program Dr. John Granton, who is a critical care physician and interim medical director of health services at the University Health Network. Welcome, doctor. Hi, good morning, Alan. Thanks what, for the invitation. What, is it, what does it mean to be able to cut short the isolation? I mean, what kind of risk does that put both uh, hospital workers and those who are going into hospitals at? Does that put them at risk? Well, I, let me just uh, state that, you know, we're, we're considering this. This is something new that uh, uh, I think hospitals are, are starting to evaluate as an option. As you described for your own work environment, the hospitals start to face uh, in relationship to being able to provide uh, much needed care to patients. Um, and so, as you stated, what we currently do is when somebody has an exposure uh, um, with either a patient or uh, more often a coworker, either at work or uh, community exposure, uh, we send them off, we do the testing, and then they stay off until they complete their quarantine. And what we're now considering is uh, identifying different types of exposures, and it's important to realize that not every exposure is the same. Um, there are what we consider low-risk exposures, and those are usually a staff-to-patient exposure in most cases. Um, and then the high-risk exposures would be somebody, for example, who's living in a, in a home who has ongoing exposure to a family member, children, or parent, um, and you, you, you can't get away from that exposure. We call that an ongoing exposure as opposed to a, a single discrete exposure. And as you can imagine, the risks of contracting COVID or turning your test positive would be quite low in, in, a, in a, a sort of a in the moment exposure versus ongoing exposure in the home. And so I think um, what we will, will have to decide is going forward, what, what level of um, risk are we willing to assume as it relates to that healthcare worker becoming positive um, while coming to work? And what we're trying to do to mitigate that risk if, if we decide to go forward is to initially do testing and make sure they're negative and then do regular testing uh, in addition to self-assessment for symptoms, but regular testing using rapid antigen testing uh, for the period of their usual isolation, 10 year, 10 days, and then at uh, day seven, repeat the PCR. So as much as possible, 
reducing any risk that that person uh, that we're letting somebody who actually has COVID into the workplace. Um, and we're hoping uh, that we can minimize any risk to, to uh, both coworkers and also patients. If I mean we, we mean the province. Um, and I'll just say the other thing that's done, of course, is that people are wearing PPE. So um, even if um, an individual does have COVID, if the two people are, are both wearing PPE, uh, there is also that really important element of protection. So. I'm speaking with Dr. John Granton, who is a critical care physician at the uh, University Health Network, talking about we're talking about isolation or testing for healthcare workers in the United Kingdom. They have uh, slashed the isolation. Uh, time, uh, do, uh, considering how quickly this is coming, I know this is being considered, but we we know the case numbers are going to go up very sharply day by day. Uh, right. Do we need to put this in place right away? We don't seem to have a luxury of time here. Well, I think it is coming at us in an exponential, very quick fashion. So we're seeing case counts that are, are very high. We're we're stymied a little bit as well by the fact that, as, as you alluded to, this is uh, the holiday season. A lot of uh, people are going to be on vacation. We're also fortunate, though, that as part of the holiday season, we usually have a regular slowdown in our particular surgical volumes. A lot of the elective cases are no longer done. We have only emergency cases. So this is a normal time where most hospitals will slow down. Uh, we're certainly seeing an impact on our emergency department. Um, um, so, so there is almost a, a perfect storm brewing for when everybody tries to return to work in January, and we're going to have to reevaluate this. And again, it's a balance of risks. Um, it's the balance of not being able to provide much needed care to patients uh, versus um, probably a lower risk of, of bringing somebody who had a low risk exposure who you're testing regularly uh, back to work um, a bit early. And as it relates to shortening the period of isolation, I think, again, like everything else in this pandemic, we're learning more about this virus, that its um, incubation period might be a bit different. Um, and particularly when you're dealing with a vaccinated uh, population, and by that I mean our, our um, healthcare workers, the, the period of shedding the virus is, is likely shorter. So this is why some jurisdictions, you mentioned the UK, is considering and actually in, in, in enabling a shorter period of isolation. You think that's coming to coming here that's inevitable? Um, I think people will consider. I can't speak to that. That's that's um, at, a, at a different uh, table for discussion. That's much more at the national level. Um, the public health agency and um, ANASI, the National Advisory um, uh, Committee, um, will review those sorts of things and make recommendations which will or will not be adopted by the different provinces. So uh, we usually follow um, um, uh, you know, people at, at different tables and their recommendations to, before we implement anything. We have seen other provinces begin to suspend elective surgeries. Is that inevitable in Ontario? Um, well, I hope not. Um, again, we were just in the phase of trying to catch up uh, all these poor folks who, you know, had their surgeries delayed. And uh, we are making a concerted effort at UHN to continue to, to uh stand fast and protect our volumes and see patients um, and continue to do operations, needed operations to clear the backlog. But uh, like every other time, we may have to adjust and recalibrate and, and decrease our volumes again, which would be uh, really unfortunate, um, again, for, for people who have been looking forward to having their surgeries done and, and medical treatments done. Speaking with Dr. John Granton, who is uh, interim medical director of health services at the University Health Network, I, you know, it, we're back at this point now where everybody is an expert reading 
uh, charts and graphs and information. And, and I think the thing that everybody's looking at is the severity numbers. We got new reports out of the UK about, you know, reduced severity in terms of compared to Delta. Can you give me a, a sense of what you're seeing in the numbers and, you know, is, is your hope or despair moving with each report? Well, I think our despair is seeing the rapid rise in numbers for sure. That's frightening. Um, and as you said, that even though people may not be getting sick, potentially we're seeing the devastating impact on in different workplaces. Um, what we're hoping, and we're very fortunate in, in, in North America to be able to see what's happening overseas and, and, and learn from that. I must say things are happening much more quickly again because of the accelerated nature, accelerated nature of this particular variant. Um, but uh, what we are learning is that it's possible that the hospitalization rate, the severity of this illness, um, and uh, the death rate and what have you is it may be lower. And that could be for a lot of reasons. Perhaps you're dealing with a much more protected um, um, environment, uh, individuals who have been vaccinated or previously exposed, uh, where there may be some element of protection or perhaps the virus in of itself is less virulent. Now, um, we are also seeing an uptick in del um, the Delta virus as well. So it, it, it's the Omicron and Delta. The Omicron is now becoming the prevalent strain, but Delta is also getting an uptick, and we've seen what that can do in the past. And we're very worried about people yet to be vaccinated. Um, I still say that's a, that's a very dangerous strategy to assume, um, and we, we have excellent protection with, with the, the different uh, vaccines that are available. So, again, we're really recommending people in addition to Usual isolate procedures, PPE is to continue to get vaccinated. And for those who can uh, get a booster shot to improve your chances of, of uh, not getting sick with, with this new variant. You're talking about Delta still on the up, uptick as well. Help me understand this because it, when Delta came in, it elbowed out um, Alpha and became the dominant strain. And now we have Omicron that is, is it also elbowing out Delta or are they both strains increasing at the same time? Well, Omicron is, is, is increasing probably at the highest rate. Again, we're, we're learning as we go, but Omicron is, is elbowing its way into being the most prevalent strain. Um, and that's the one that we're probably seeing is, and others have seen as, as being responsible for this rapid rise. Um, it, it may be because it's more transmissible. Um, and uh, that might be why it's why we're seeing that. Um, and it moves around a lot more freer. Um, it's also to a, an advantage of a virus not to make your, your host too sick so they continue to go out and do things and meet people and what have you. And um, people are confused by their symptoms. So that's, that's a good strategy for a virus. So um, there's a lot of reasons why you'll start to see a virus become more prevalent um, uh, and another one kind of get... Uh, nudged out, um, and that's quite common for viruses. Uh, not being expert in viruses, but we see that with the flu strain. We see a, a prevalent flu strain every year, so we do see adaptation by viruses, and and uh, as they work through a strategy to uh, work their way in, so that they um, uh, become much more commonplace and more prevalent. So, Dr. Grant, I appreciate your time today. I'm hoping, like all of us, that we don't have to throttle back on elective surgeries because of the rise in cases. Thank you again. Yeah, my pleasure. Stay well.
That is Dr. John Granton, who's a critical care physician and interim medical director of health services at University Health Network. And, and again, we come back to the, the central problem here. It, as you look at severity, as you, you know, you look at the numbers and the charts and the graphs, and all of a sudden you're like, you're throwing around terms, you know, in the family, in the house over dinner, like, have you seen the R or not? <laughs> you know, we're all, we're all kind of experts in it now, are we not, in, in some kind of way. I think the question a lot of people have is, okay, yeah, I need to get a booster. Sure, fine. But look at those lineups. Do we actually have, do we have the capacity, do we actually have the doses to be able to get everybody a booster. This is what the prime minister had to say about it. Get your booster shots. We have enough in the country uh, for everyone who needs it. Uh, so please go get those booster shots. They give you extra protection against Omicron uh, and in keeping us all safe. Uh, pediatric vaccines continue to roll out, get our kids vaccinated as well. Uh, it's going to be really, really important that we do everything we can uh, to get through this. So we have the shots, <clears throat> they are available, and the Prime Minister saying basically what we've just been talking about with our, our doctor guest is that we need to do what we can to slow the growth so that all of a sudden we don't get this wave heading into hospitals. We need to prevent Omicron from overwhelming our healthcare systems. In order to do that, we have to keep contacts low. We have to make choices that are going to keep us and our families safe because Omicron is out there. And the way we show our support for those people who've been keeping us safe is by making sure they don't get overloaded this winter. That is the Prime Minister urging you to do what you can to A, get a booster, B, reduce your contacts, and do what you can so that we don't overload the hospital system. And And I guess I'm I'm really interested in what you're thinking about it. Are you going to change what you're planning to do? Are you cutting down on contacts or are you thinking, I kidding me, I'm, I'm fully vaxxed, or at least I'm what used to be called fully vaxxed. Soon I'll have the booster. It's going to be an interesting holiday season. I don't think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to change your plans. That's just my feeling. My name is Alan Carter. This is Global News Radio.